Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Victoria Clifford. Victoria is the founder of Retroesque, a ladies' reproduction vintage boutique based in Arundel, West Sussex. Victoria, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Real pleasure indeed. Now, the purpose of this discussion, first and foremost, Victoria, is to establish your take on the issue of leadership. Um, So if we look at that word leader just on its own for a second to begin with, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you and how it resonates on the whole. Well, leadership to me is, you know, someone that's willing to stand at the front and take things forward you know um the one that's willing to make the mistakes to get things right in the end um basically lead from the front and if we think about sort of your personal leadership style in the context of the retro s business how would you describe your approach in that regard well I mean, I I do work on my own, so everything relies on me being able to be there, be present, run the business, um, take charge of everything from, you know, running the shop to um, accounting and taking care of business behind the scenes. So everything, I am accountable for everything. And with regards to... um what sort of inspired you to sort of go down the route of founding your own business four years ago? I'm interested to understand what some of the inspirations have been behind sort of that leadership style as you've developed and maybe some of the influential experiences that you've had throughout your career that have led up to this. Um, well, I mean, the, when I first started the business, it was um, a personal ambition. Um, it was due to the passing of my aunt. Um, and I thought life was too short, so I decided to take the little bit of money that I was given and um, create Retroesque. Um, I've always been in management roles, either starting from you know a bartender and worked my way up into management in hospitality or taking on administrative roles in management. So I had certain skill sets that I could bring to running my own business. But of course, you, you hit hurdles that you have to figure out on your own sometimes, which um, which were always tricky. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, leadership in general, I think, is something that's being put to the test right at this current time, isn't it? With the emergence of COVID-19, of course, and the impact that that's had on businesses and communities all over the world. Um, How has it been for yourselves as a business, Victoria, adapting to the challenges that that's brought about? Because I can imagine it's been a tremendously difficult time for yourselves as well. Um, It has been something that, yeah, I don't think anyone was prepared for. So it definitely lends itself to again, learning a a whole new set of skills. Um, I had to close the shop down to obviously fall in line with the lockdown, et cetera, Um, but still trying to find ways to make my business 
viable and continue was very, very tricky because I couldn't go to the shop to do anything. Uh, Sending out orders was also an issue. Luckily, keeping in contact with all my customer base and other shop owners, you know, we could talk things out between us. Um, So talking amongst other leaders of retail, for example, um, really does help because other people have different ideas and opinions on how things can be done or worked through. But it has definitely been very tricky to navigate the issues that um, coronavirus has caused. And I can imagine as well that from a leadership point of view, I mean, it's been difficult from the people management perspective as well, hasn't it? Because um, people react differently to different things. And in any sort of sense, running a business, it takes a different approach sometimes to sort of get the best out of certain personalities. And likewise with this, some people are going to be able to continue to work under new conditions more effectively, be that working on site under new safety procedures or be that working remotely, whereas others will need just that little bit of extra motivation, extra reassurance. So that's something that leaders have had to really be aware of in business during this time as well, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, All the different... um Companies that I've spoken to, um, you know, friends that basically run their own businesses and have staff, it has been extremely tricky because some staff are just flat out refusing to go back to work because they don't believe it's safe. And it's, you know, what leg do you have to stand on when they're refusing, yet you've given them every opportunity to stay an employee with all the government's help of furloughing, etc. Um there has to be a bit of give and take. And unfortunately, the nature of human beings is some are are more than willing to work with you and some are more than willing to work against you. And so it has been very tricky for a lot of different sectors, leaders, to try and get people back to work in a safe manner that allows them the business to continue. Exactly right. And a great challenge during this time for business as well has been clarity and transparency, particularly around government guidelines. And clarity and transparency are two things that I see as very important elements of leadership within their own right. Um, Have you, from your perspective, Victoria, been comfortable throughout this situation that you know what's been expected of you to operate safely and continue to do so as restrictions continue to ease? I found it quite difficult because there's been lots of different information floating around. Um, For myself personally, there was um, guidelines regarding changing rooms, trying clothing on, trying shoes on. Um, But we also have a huge issue about fake news and, you know, which articles are the correct ones and then you dive into the government website and I don't think it's as clear as it could be. Mm. You know, bullet bullet points are the easiest things to follow. Clear, concise, just tell us what you want. Don't sort of, you know, you can do this but you can't do that kind of, it's, it's a little bit wishy-washy, so I have found it quite tricky. I've had to 
basically work out for myself if I was a customer what would I feel comfortable doing or accepting as a as a guideline to my health and my safety and thinking about um the renewed focus on mental health and well-being that's come about during this time at the moment um for yourself and those working at the business how has it been sort of adapting from that perspective um has it been sort of quite easy for people to just kind of get on with things um as they have been doing whether they've been furloughed or otherwise or has it been just a little bit more complicated than that where you've had to have one or two sort of discussions with people just to sort of keep the communication channels open and keep that reassurance flowing which is difficult when there's so much uncertainty of course and such a lack of clarity yeah absolutely i mean it it can be very difficult um i'm not gonna lie i've actually quite enjoyed the the time off basically for me I've, i've been running this business for four years and you know, very rarely do I get a day off. You know, we're talking seven days a week, but I don't really get to see my partner much or, um, you know, any sort of members of the family. But with, with that additional time off, I was actually able to kind of recenter myself and spend some time with my husband and do some gardening and housework that I don't usually get to do. Um, so from that point of view, on the, the mental health issue, I actually found it really beneficial um, and welcoming. And I think, you know, for everyone's kind of moaning, I think the government really helped with that because they allowed a lot of people to be able to still stay, um, you know, employed, but have that safety of being at home during this uncertain time of, you know, a pandemic. And um, it's interesting to also understand what sort of effect you think this is going to have on your industry in particular um, longer term, because there's been a great debate um, with firms working in office environments about whether that's going to continue as things return to normal or whether we're going to move more towards remote working. Of course, there's been a proliferation of online purchases during this time because shops have been closed as well. So are retailers such as yourselves going to have to essentially enhance the experience of going into shops and having that social interaction in order to sort of continue operating as normal when it's safe to do so, do you think? Do you think there'll be some real changes in that sense? Um, I think... From an independent retailer's point of view, we have always offered that little something extra, Mm. so customer experience. So from that point of view, that's never been an issue for us. I mean, the biggest battle we have had is against online presence. Um, You know, times have changed so much that people would much rather sit at home and order things online. But of course that brings about other issues um, because that doesn't really help the environment if you think about all the different delivery drivers, et cetera, that are on the roads. Um, And then people sending things back and it's a constant battle. Um, Plus, times have changed so much that people don't really go out shopping anymore necessarily. They'd much rather go to a pub or a restaurant and have a meal out with friends and family than actually visit shops. So we're we're always constantly battling these issues. But I think in terms of changing what we offer, I think we've always offered that. So we've always offered the extra customer service and the something different. 
And keeping that focus on the uh, the future, just before we uh, wrap things up on the uh, the programme, uh, Victoria, um, what do you envision for yourself and for RetroEsque over the course of the next 12 or um, to 18 months as we sort of adapt to the new normal and move through the pandemic? And what do you really hope to achieve as a business in that time as well? Oh, um, remaining open, to be brutally honest. <laughs> um, yeah, just keeping the customers that I've got, hopefully enticing new ones. Um, it is going to be tricky, especially with a lot of the events that I myself rely on um, that keep new customers coming. Um, I just hope that I can continue to invite customers to shop with me and offer them that extra service that they don't necessarily get from big chains or online businesses mm. sometimes just sort of those simplest um, of ambitions um, can be some of the most effective because with so much uncertainty it's not exactly the greatest idea to sort of wax lyrical about big plans and ambitions is it because we simply don't know what's going to happen um, over the course of the next 12 months and in light of that uh, Victoria I have to say given how informative it's been having you join us on the programme I think it would be fantastic to catch up in future and actually discuss exactly how things are getting on at that point in time and assess just exactly what has changed in the time between in terms of your industry yes that would be absolutely brilliant yes I think it would be really insightful, not just for myself as a host here, but also from a listener's point of view as well, for those tuning in. Um, I've got to say, Victoria, it's been a real pleasure having you join us. It's a shame that we don't have more time on today's programme. Otherwise, we could discuss these long into the afternoon, I'm sure. Um, But until we do speak again in future, which I'm certain we will do, um, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on in the meantime, because as we both well know, I'm sure we're certainly not out of the woods with this one yet. There's plenty of time for things still to change. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, we don't know what's going to happen. If someone's got a crystal ball, I'd like to borrow it. <laughs> oh, for sure. I think we could all use one of those uh, right now, definitely. Um, that was Victoria Clifford speaking, the founder of Retroesque. Um, coming up next on today's programme, however, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, the trade body for firms who provide such services for both individuals and families. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Liz. That is coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when of course um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right yes um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. 
and the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the the uh, uh, been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment? Uh, these are, are are the priorities uh, for yourselves there. Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, a, I could have a, a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to um Kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world. So uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you, um, because it is quite a complex arena, and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally. So um, if you have that as a backdrop, uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post Brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Lizzie, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the, the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go it's just it's just going to 
keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life. Because it's about things that they have to deal with, or you know that they they deal with on a day to day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because that then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in 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 our um, in our country. Without a doubt, Liz, because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, for example, uh, with, with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least, whether they become actions is another <laughs> a thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system, but ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz, yes, I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at and a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority with the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, uh, Liz. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- s- far more certainty in the market. And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think I think that that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know thirty first of January came and went, um, you know we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, mm-hmm. um, and for for UK. Um, savers and uh, and investors uh, in terms of where the rules are made there's still there's still not some clarity about that um you know we're we're still uh, well we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um european rulemaking um down the line that's still to be negotiated i mean we've always said that actually for for savers and investors we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds um however it, you know the, the majority of our of our firms look after uk savers um and therefore a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an, uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with w- definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. What we're talking about is smarter regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique 
industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Europe, in Europe, England, or U- the UK rather, and, and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So, whilst I'd like to be posit- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation, and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yeah, the same two, piece, you know. <laughs> famous fellows, aren't they? Indeed, I mean, absolutely, um, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, num- if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part, I I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat yes. funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays. But the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe 
FCA you should be looking at in your supervisory process. And we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I, I know there's no such thing as a, a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if, let's imagine, let's, let's imagine you did have one, just for, the, just for this afternoon, perhaps. And you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could... <laughs> Um, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I, were, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me! The one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now, I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at, um, at the operations of PIMFOR again, it's what PIMFOR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have no i don't i, I think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually mm. but it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know the values that we have as an organisation. We, we are a small organisation, uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So, relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt, and I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it? That that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think, and because of the time here, we we I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask Liz, looking forward, and I know the next twelve months is full of uncertainty. What are uh, the plans Pimfa has for it, nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing, that you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um, and what does what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward. But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main 
the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know, we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just um, kind of, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well-being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision. And then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be a, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things. And perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Liz, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.